This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. If you're not sure where Lamentations is, Lamentations is a small book, can be a little difficult to find. Probably your best bet is to simply flip to the front of the book, look at the table of contents, and, and, and find your way to it through there. And uh, we will look at that in just a moment, but while you turn there, you, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that the, the year is almost over and the, the holidays are, are almost all the way through. Christmas is, is now past. I Hope you had a, a joyful time, although probably different than what you're used to. Nevertheless, a, a joyful time celebrating the, the birth of our Savior. Uh, by the end of this week, Friday, New Year's will, will already be upon us. And for the most part, all the important days of the, the holiday season will, will be behind us. But for, for some, there, there's one more very important day that, that's on their calendar. And they're, they're waiting for this day with eager anticipation and that is not this Monday, but the, the following Monday is what is known as Black Monday. Now, for those of you not familiar with Black Monday, I, I, some of you might be thinking, well, I know Cyber Monday, I know Black Friday. What is Black Monday? Well, Black Monday, if you're not a football fan, is the day after the final Sunday of the NFL season when the owners of different teams, after a particularly rough and difficult seasons decide whether or not they have the confidence to continue to move forward with the one who's been leading their football team up to this point. They call it Black Monday because you, you just start hearing report after report of different coaches losing their jobs. The question that the, the owners of these football teams ask themselves for Black Monday is, does this guy still got what it takes to, to lead us where we need to go in the season ahead? Do I still trust him, or is it, is it time to, to move in a, a different direction? Is it time to place our hope in the, the season ahead elsewhere? Well, this morning, uh, you and I, in, in one sense, have, have nothing to, to do with Black Friday unless you know, we're just simply fans of the game or just out of curiosity. But in another sense, we face sort of a, a Black Monday of our own. As, as our year comes to a close, as we close out a particularly rough and difficult year, for, for many of us, this may have been the most difficult year of our lives. And the, the question before us is where are we going to place our hope in the year ahead? Do we still trust God to, to lead and guide us and help us through the, the challenges that lie ahead? Or is it time to, to move in a a different direction, to, to place our hopes in the season ahead elsewhere. I mean, this, this 2020 season has been a little bit of a train wreck, hasn't it? And we, we can find ourselves asking questions like, God, you know, where have you been? God, you, you, you sure you got this going forward? And while none of us, like the NFL coaches or NFL owners, will, will hold a press conference to declare our intentions for, for what we're doing for the, the season ahead, nevertheless, we'll, we'll face a choice. 
Uh, and we, we might not even realize that, that we're making this choice. Our, our change of direction can, can be subtle, even, even an imperceptible shift, even, even to ourselves. As we start to place our confidence elsewhere without even noticing it, we, we can drift. God, God gets demoted in a sense. We, we don't fire him, he just no longer has head coaching duties. God, we'll, we'll give you Sunday mornings, but the rest of the week, yeah, I, I don't know if I, I trust you for the, the rest of the week. Maybe we, we simply start relying on ourselves more. Maybe we, we find we, we don't pray like we once did. We, we're not in God's word like we once were. And at the root of it all is a, a confidence that has been shaken. That's why this, this morning as a, a pastoral team, we, we thought it wise as we, we closed out this, this year to, to reflect on the question, where has God been in 2020? What has he been up to? And knowing this, how does this give us hope for the year ahead for 2021? And I can't think of a better place to help us make sense of this than, than Lamentations chapter 3. In our, our text this morning, we, we meet someone like, who, like us, has had a really rough year. If you think 2020 has been bad, it has nothing on 586 B.C., we're, we're, we're not ex- exactly sure who, who wrote Lamentations. Some, some believe it was the, the prophet Jeremiah, but the writer here laments as his beloved city, Jerusalem, has fallen to Babylon. The, this once flourishing great city has now been destroyed. And in the midst of this destruction, and, and some have said that this book essentially describes the, the closest human beings can live to hell. There's just this incredible suffering all around, and, and we drop into our text as the, the writer in the midst of describing his own personal suffering laments this. But as the, the writer shares his suffering, something changes that, that causes his, his, his whole outlook to, to be different, to change. And, and it gives us and it gives him hope for the days ahead. So we want to look at what that is this morning and, and what this means for us and our days ahead. So Let's read, we're going to be in verse 16 and reading through verse 24. It says, He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his holy word. Well, in the the beginning of our text here, we meet a man who's in the midst of some some very dark days. This is a a man who is, is living through a Black Monday of his own. Doesn't seem like he has the confidence to continue forward. His very hope in God has been shaken. And we, we see this in verses 16 through 18. We get a picture of the, the crisis of confidence that he's going through. 
He says in verse 16 that his soul is bereft of peace. There's just this inner turmoil in his soul. This is someone who is struggling with deep anxiety. He's someone who's wrestling through deep depression. He, he's, he's been suffering so long. He says, I've forgotten what it's like to, to be happy. He, he says, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. This is, this is someone who is at the, the end of his rope. He feels like he just doesn't have the strength to go on anymore. Someone for whom getting out of bed in the morning just seems like an impossible task. And yet, despite what's going on, there's, there's this change that takes place. And, and what follows just gives us incredible insight in how we go on. In the midst of our own dark days, when we don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning, where do we find hope? We see in, in verse 21, this, this change occurs. Something happens because of, of what the author in the midst of his suffering says he does that, that just profoundly changes his experience. In verse 19 he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. He goes from hopeless to now he's, he's hopeful. From saying I will never know what, what happiness is again I, and I, I can't go any further to expressing deep and profound joy as he turns to God and worship. Great is your faithfulness. And he says this change takes place because there's something he calls to mind. A truth so large that it, it alters his mindset. You, you see, what, what happens here is he's no longer just listening to, to what he's feeling. He begins to call to mind truth that he knows. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his excellent book, Spiritual Depression, gives this incredibly helpful insight that, that ties in with what we're seeing here. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. But here, the writer stops listening to himself and he begins to talk to himself. He does what Tim Keller says to do when he says, we may hear our hearts say it's hopeless, but we should argue back. And here he argues back, he, he talks to himself with truth instead of simply listening to himself. And, and he calls to mind, friends, something so extraordinary, something so powerful, something so paradigm-shifting that, that causes his heart to change in the midst of the circumstances he's in. Notice his circumstances don't change. These stay the, the same difficult circumstances. Does, doesn't even say that the grief and the, the sorrow change. They're, they're still there, but, but he has changed. He is different. What is, what is so powerful that can do that in someone? What could he have possibly called to mind that would have had such an effect? Well, we read in, in verses 22 and 23 what that is. He says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Friends, what he calls to mind, what he is intentional to remember, what he dwells on is God's faithfulness, God's steadfast love. See, friends, here, here's the main point we see this morning. This is the, the big idea. Dwelling on the faithfulness of God gives us resilient hope for the days ahead. 
Dwelling on the faithfulness of God gives us resilient hope for the days ahead. So let's take some time. We want to unpack what he means when he he talks about the faithfulness of God. Then we want to consider two ways that the the faithfulness of God gives us resilient hope for the days ahead. So first, what does it mean for God to be faithful? As the title of this this morning's message asks, what's so great about faithfulness? The writer says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The word in Hebrew here for, for steadfast love is the word hased. It's a word that our, our English language doesn't really have a, a one-to-one correspondence for. It's more, more of an idea. It's too large for, for one word to capture it in our English language. And that's why you see in different translations our attempts in English to capture the, the beauty and the, the fullness of the word. So some translations call it faithful love, some enduring love. Here in the English Standard Version, it's steadfast love, and it's really describing God's faithfulness to us. That's why the writer here kind of sums everything up and says, great is your faithfulness. This is God's faithfulness on display. It's describing his covenant love to us. This this is God committing himself to us, setting his kindness, his mercy, his grace upon us for, for our good. I recently saw a, a faint glimpse of this in a, a movie I watched as I watched Forrest Gump for the first time in like 20 years. And as my, my family was laughing at me, as I, I couldn't stop crying during the movie. Um, you know, the older I get, the more I, I tend to, to cry at movies for some reason. Um, but for those of you who have seen the movie, and, and, and qualifier, I'm not endorsing everything in the movie, but if you remember, Forrest was just committed to Jenny, right? And it didn't matter what she did, didn't matter the, the trouble she got herself into, didn't matter how low her life went, and, and there were some really low points of her life. He was just committed to love her no matter what. And there, there's this scene in the movie where where Forrest and Jenny, kind of through the decades, they reconnect at different points, and they had reconnected, and then she was getting ready to leave, and, and she asked him the question, she says, why are you so good to me, Forrest? And he, he just answers her, just matter-of-factly, he said, because you're my girl. He's just committed to her, his, his mind is made up, and you just see over the decades, even at her worst, just this commitment play out. Spoiler alert, and, and by the way, you've had 20 years to watch this, so I don't feel bad about this, but he even marries her when she's on her deathbed. She has nothing to offer him, and yet he is committed to her. Now, obviously, this, this illustration breaks down. You know, Forrest wasn't a smart guy. He, he, was, he was naive. But, but all the more said is God loving us even when we're at our worst. It said is God who isn't naive, who is all-knowing and all-wise, committed to his love toward us, loving us no matter where our hearts go, no matter how we go astray, no matter how often we struggle with the same sins, no matter how low things get in our life, this steadfast love is a love that never ceases. This is, as we sang, a wondrous love that will not let us go. And, and friends, we, we see this, this steadfast, 
has said faithful love throughout all the Bible just over and over and over again. This is the storyline of the entire Bible. We could spend the entire morning looking at different places where this is on display in the scriptures and, and not even scratch the surface. The writer of Lamentations would have called to mind just instance after instance of, of this love on display. He would have called to mind the, the steadfast love of God who redeems his people from slavery in Egypt only to have them turn their back on him again and again and yet continue to pursue them. Not cast them off but further reveal himself to them. We see this in, in Exodus 34, 6 through 7, just a foundational text about the faithfulness of God. God had recently redeemed his people from Egypt and, and what do they do? They go and they worship a golden calf. They, they turn their back on him. And yet God reveals himself to them, saying, He is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, abounding in hesed and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. He would have called to mind the steadfast, faithful love shown to Israel's King David after he commits adultery and murders his mistress's husband. And yet David is able to go to God in Psalm 51.1 and, and pray, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your said. This is the same David he would have recalled who in Psalm 23 declares with confidence that surely goodness and steadfast love will follow me all the days of my life. He would have called to mind Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9, where God tells Israel the basis of this steadfast love. He says in verse 7, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. And in verse 9 he says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And friends, he would have called to, to mind God's steadfast, faithful love in, in promising a coming Redeemer a promise that God has faithfully brought to pass as we have experienced the greatest display of this faithful, steadfast love and God giving us his son to, to, to forgive us of our sins. Instead of God cutting us off when we sin, he presses in further. He gives us his son for God so loved the world that he gave. How could God possibly show any more how committed he is to us? What wondrous love, how great is his faithfulness. And friends, because of this steadfast, faithful love, we can have hope for the days ahead. So we want to look at two reasons why that's so. Point number one, because of the faithfulness of God, we can come to him with our sorrows in the days ahead. This is what we see in verse 19 and, and 20 of our text as the author turns to God and says, Remember my afflictions and my wanderings. The, the wormwood and the gall, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He goes to, to God 
with his pain. He, he asked God to, to take notice. He, he describes the bitterness he, he feels in his soul. Wormwood was a bitter plant. He says, remember my wanderings. The, the word translated wanderings here, sometimes in other translations, is translated homelessness. There's just this, this restlessness that's going on. There's, his soul is in turmoil. This isn't a, a neat and tidy prayer. He's not waiting till he has it all together to, to come to God. This is him lamenting. This is raw. God, remember me. The implication is, God, you, you sure feel far away. It doesn't feel like you're, you're taking notice. I, I feel bitterness in my soul. God, remember my suffering. You, you know, if, if you're anything like me, 2020 has just been a, a year where we've experienced a range of emotions. And, and all, although we hope for, for better things in, in 2021, the, the truth is we're, we're still going to face our challenges in 2021. I've, I've caught myself at times making statements like, well, at least 2020 is almost over. Like, like somehow magically, once the clock strikes midnight and Ryan Seacrest wishes us all a happy new year, that the, the curse is broken and all our, our sorrows will, will be lifted. But, but the truth is, we, we will still face our challenges in 2021. We'll still be tempted to, to be overwhelmed. We will experience our share of sorrows and, and frustrations. And, and the, the question before us is, is where do we go when this happens? Where, where do we turn with these emotions? Do we internalize them? Do we, do we try to numb them and just distract ourselves on, on Netflix or scrolling through social media? Do we put in long hours in the office and try to just get our mind off of our, our problems? Do we turn to substances? Do we turn to pornography? There's so many different ways we can go to, to flee our, our uncomfortable emotions. And yet here we see in our text, because God is a God of steadfast love, we can come to him with all our emotions. We can come to him with all our sorrow. That's why the psalmist tells us in Psalm 62, verse 8, to trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. And, and friends, it is so important that as we walk through challenges in the year ahead, we, we pour out our hearts before the Lord we do what we see the, the writer of Lamentations doing here and, and what the book is named after. We lament. Think as, as American Christians, we, we don't always understand the importance of, of what it means to lament. L lament is a uniquely Christian way of grieving that engages God with the, the brokenness and the sorrow that, that we're experiencing, that, that refuses to, to bury it and act like nothing's wrong or refuse, on the other hand, just to, to vent about it and, and talk about our emotions with our friends, but, but not go to the Lord. Lament is, is taking our emotions and pouring out our hearts before the Lord. It's coming raw and honest before Him, and yet chooses to, to take hold of His promises as we wrestle through things. But, but where we start is, is we just come raw and, and honest in, in how we feel. We, we bring our sorrows to God. I think as Christians we can have this idea that we, we have to maintain this, this certain level of, of happiness at all times. To show sorrow is to, to lack faith. You know, our home is not in this world, we're going to heaven, so we shouldn't really be concerned with the things that are going on here on earth. 
I remember a, a close uh, dear friend of mine when I was in Bible college just really opening up to me and just kind of pouring his heart out to me. There was just certain things that were causing him to be really sorrowful. And I, I remember I shared with him words that I, I really intended to encourage him and serve him and just give him some perspective. So as he's sharing about his sorrows, I told him, you know, Joseph, don't, don't worry about it. We're, we're going to be in heaven someday. This all really doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of just, you know, I think you need to move past this. Remember where our eternity is. And as, as Joseph considered my words for a moment, and I, I just kind of waited for my, my words of wisdom to, to land on him with, you know, kind of the perspective-altering force, I was, I was hoping that they, they would, and, um, you know, just waiting for him to, to thank me. He paused for a moment, and he looked me in the eye and said something I'll never forget. That was, he said, you are a horrible counselor. And, and, and you know what? He was right. I had this m- mistaken idea that, that certain emotions were unspiritual. So I, I was trying to get Joseph past these emotions. And, and can't we do that with, with our friends or with ourselves? We've got to get past the sorrow. We've got to get past the grief. friend opens up in small group that they're going through tough times and they, they express sorrow. And, and we feel the need to just help them get past it. Just remember Romans 8, 28, my brother. God works all things together for good, so let's, let's keep moving. And, and yes, he will, and amen, but, but there's a place to grieve, right? There's a place to weep with those who weep. There's a place to express sorrow before the Lord. And, and, and it's okay to, to grieve the, the brokenness of this world. Although we don't grieve like those who have no hope, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we still grieve. We still experience sorrow and grief. These are not wrong emotions, but emotions created by God to draw our hearts to Him so that we go to Him for our healing. Or as I said, we can make the other mistake. We, we don't ignore our emotions. In fact, we're very comfortable expressing them and we'll talk all about them, but we never go to, to God with our emotions, friends. To, to lament is to bring these sorrows to God, and it's because of God's faithfulness we can come to Him with our sorrows. And friends, we can have confidence that not only does He hear us, we can have confidence that He sees what we need, and He does something about it. And that leads us to our second point as we consider how God's faithfulness informs the year ahead. Point number two, because of God's faithfulness, we can come to Him with our needs You see, not only is God a God of steadfast love, but part of that steadfast love, we're told in verse 22, is that he is a God that delights to shower us with mercy. It says that his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. God's mercy can be defined as his compassion in action. It's God seeing what we need in our misery and despair and and doing something about it. You see, friends, we can move forward in 2021 despite the challenges that come to us because there is never a moment where we are not recipients of God's mercy. It says they they never come to an end, and, and doesn't that inform this past year? If we believe what this says, there was never a moment of 2020 for those of us in Christ where we were not recipients of God's mercy, not not once There has never been a point where the the mercy pause button has been hit. We have experienced his mercy 
over and over and over again this past year. Now, you might be thinking, well, Matt, that's great and all, but, but, but that doesn't seem like it's been my experience this year. I walked through some really challenging things. Uh, my, my prayers, it seemed like God wasn't listening. He had the power to change things. Why didn't he? Where was his mercy this year? There, there's a, a scene in the, the book, The Magician's Nephew by, by C.S. Lewis. It's one of the books in the, the Chronicles of Narnia series that, that I've felt has helped me as, as I've wrestled through that question. It's just given me some insight to it. But in the book, you have a, a young boy named Diggory. And Diggory uh, comes face to face with Aslan, the, the mighty lion. And uh, for those of you who know the series, Aslan's kind of a, a Christ figure in the book. And Diggory's mother is dying of cancer. And even though Diggory is terrified of Aslan, he works up the courage to go to Aslan and, and ask him to, to heal his mother of cancer. And in the story, C.S. Lewis writes, he says, Up till then, the child had been looking at the lion's great front feet and the huge claws on them. Now in his despair, he looked up at his face, and what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. What did Diggory see that, that was so astonishing? It says that the lion's face was, was bent down near his own and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. You see, friends, when, when Diggory was, was looking at Aslan's claws and his, his big front feet, he was seeing the, the power of of Aslan. His, his expectation was that mercy would, would be shown in a, a certain way by, by changing the circumstances. But it wasn't until he lifted up his eyes and saw the, the tears in the, the lion's eyes and how close Aslan was to him that he, he experienced a different type of mercy. One that he wasn't expecting. He, he experienced the mercy of Aslan's presence. He experienced the, the mercy of comfort in the midst of sorrow. See, friends, often we can come to God with, with certain expectations of what his, his mercy will look like. And, and praise God, sometimes God does give us the mercy of changed circumstances. But either way, what we need to see is what, what Diggory saw. Oh, we, we need to see the heart of the one who we're seeking mercy from. A heart that breaks for our suffering more than our own hearts do. A heart that has entered into our suffering as Isaiah 53.4 tells us, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And though we, we might not understand why things are happening the way we are, yet we can know that this God of mercy and steadfast love loves us so much that he will always give us the, ner the mercy we need in the moment. Dane Ortland says in what has become my, my favorite book of the year, Gentle and Lowly, he says, if my life is any evidence of the mercy of God in Christ, you might think, I'm not impressed. To you, I say, the evidence of Christ's mercy toward you is not your life. The evidence of his mercy toward you is his mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed, abandoned eternally in your place. 
If God sent his son to walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection, and hell, you can trust him as you walk through your own valleys on your way to heaven. Notice what else our text says. Not only are his mercies never ending, they are new every morning. There's a a freshness to them. They aren't tired out or exhausted. There's not a reluctance to them. There's never a moment where God is like, I'm trying to show mercy, but uh, you're you're working on my last nerve. Parents can relate to that. No, there's a, a newness to this mercy he supplies, an eagerness every single day. It never gets old. God delights in showing mercy. And notice it says when they are new. It says they are new every morning. And, and, and just so you understand the, the significance of this. In, in scripture, the, the morning is, is a time more than any other where God shows up when his people need him most and does great things for his people. It's in the morning that as the Israelites were fleeing slavery from Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea that, that God had split at night, it's in the morning that God gives them the victory and frees them from slavery. As it says in Exodus 14, 27, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. It was in the morning that despite wandering through the desert for 40 years, God pours out mercy upon mercy upon his people, daily supplying their needs every single morning as he miraculously feeds them with manna. The Israelites had no idea how they were going to make it through the desert. There's not a lot of food in the desert. And for 40 years, they would roll out of bed, unzip their tent, look out, and again, God has been merciful. He has fed us again. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. And friends, it was in the morning that God provided his greatest mercy, that God showed up in his greatest way as three days after his crucifixion, it's in the morning that the empty tomb is discovered. And we find that Christ's sacrifice on our behalf has been accepted and God has raised Christ from the dead. And we can now know God's mercy for our sin. And that's why we can ask the question along with the Apostle Paul as he asked of Romans 8.32, He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? How will he not give us mercy upon mercy, everything we need morning upon morning? Friends, praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his steadfast love. Verse 24, the writer declares, he says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. See, friends, when we see the steadfast, faithful love of the Lord that never ceases, when we see this God that we can come to and pour our hearts out to, when we see this God of mercy, we just want to know this God. God is no longer a God we simply want things from. We want him. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is mine. All may be stripped away, and yet nothing can separate me from him. And because of this, we can have hope. Have hope. Trials may come, but brothers and sisters, we can have a hope in a God that's ours in the year ahead. God who nothing can separate us from his love, not now, not ever. In closing, I want to, to close with an exhortation from the, the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to a, a group of men and women who are also, like us, going through a 
a rough season, who were facing a black Monday of their own, who were tempted to have their confidence in God shaken as they looked at the, the days ahead. Do we go on with God? Hebrews 10.23 encourages us in this way. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The reason given is, For he who promised is faithful. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful. Let us look to this God and move forward with hope, not wavering but holding fast to the Christ, the greatest expression of God's faithfulness. He has been with us every step of the way in 2020, and he will be with us every step of the way in the days ahead. Let's pray.